Hugh's side of this uh, Ecclesia concept, and it's this. Christians are called out of autonomy and under the authority of the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. We are called out of autonomy. The word autonomy, you probably know this, means self-law, self-governed, self-ruled. I am a law unto myself. So we're being called out of that, and it's not just our society that's kind of rolled that way. I think uh, by nature, we are that way. Since Genesis 3, which is a long time ago, we have, as humanity, been self-law-type folks. I'm going to live for myself. And the kingdom of God, though, is not wired that way. We're called out of self-governance, self-law, and we are called to submission to submit our hearts ultimately to the Lord. And the way that we do that today through the Holy Spirit is to God's word, is to God's word. So if if you got a Bible, turn to Acts 17 with me. We're gonna look at a couple passages this morning. If you don't, it's in your bulletin, it's on the screen. The book of Acts is the section of the Bible that covers what happened right after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus rises from the dead He appears to his followers. He ascends to the Father. He's now gone to be with the Father. And he has faithfully sent the person and the power of the Holy Spirit upon all believers. For the first time in church history, all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter gets up and preaches this sermon. 3,000 people believe they're baptized in Jerusalem. They're believing that Jesus is Messiah, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to a bunch of other things, doing life together. I mean, they, they had community like we've never experienced. They had all things in common, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They already committed themselves to the Old Testament, now to the apostles' teaching. They're devoting themselves. Later in Acts 17, we're following along in Paul's missionary journey. There's this unlikely guy named Saul who gets converted to Jesus. He was persecuting the church. God interrupts him by calling him to himself. And then Paul becomes, Saul becomes Paul, and he becomes the next apostle. And he establishes the church throughout the first century in the Middle East. We pick up in Acts chapter 17, where he and brother Silas are going out. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greeks, women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica came, learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained. Those who conducted Paul uh, brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come uh, to him as possible, they departed. This is the word of the Lord. Christians, church, we are called out of autonomy out of self-governance, out of self-law, out of self-rule, a law unto yourself. And we're called to get to the place where you open up your heart and your mind and your life and you say, the word of God will be my ultimate authority. I'm not saying it's easy. It's simple. It's that simple. It's that clear. But it is not easy. 
and yet it's our call. This last weekend, we were hosting a good friend of my wife's. She was her volleyball coach in college, and she was visiting. She, she works at a very large Christian college in Chicago, a well-known one. She was visiting us, and she was asking me, what is the most difficult thing you face as a pastor? What is your number one difficulty? And I didn't have to think more than a couple seconds. It, and it's, it's not uh, preaching. It's not teaching. It's not it's not administrating, it's, it's not building buildings or you know, remodeling them. It is, by without a doubt, dealing with folks, you and me, in our brokenness, in our sin, and seeing situations that are so broken and, and so filled with bad decisions that it feels as if there's no way out. And I've seen God do great things and miracles and work in people's lives, but when people come to us in, in broken, broken situations, and there's so much difficulty, so much sinning against one another, and you, you're trying your best to help myself, pastors, other pastors, elders, shepherds, small group leaders, as we try to care for people, and there's just so much difficulty and brokenness. That is by absolutely the, by far, the hardest part about being a pastor. It's the hardest part about being a small group leader. It's the hardest part of being a Sunday school teacher. It's the hardest part. If you're going to take spiritual responsibility for anybody, including your own family, it's the hardest part. And so in this series, what I've been saying is we want for our church and for the church to, to be healthy. More than anything, if I could grant you anything, if I could wave a magic wand, which I don't have, if I did, I would wave it over you, I would grant you one thing, and it would be emotional and spiritual health immediately. Why? Make my life so much easier. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'd say, emotional and spiritual health, Harry Potter style, and boom, you know, like, we, we would be emotionally and spiritually healthy, and the two are so important. In fact, I don't think you can separate them. If you think you're spiritually mature and you're emotionally immature, guess what? You're not spiritually mature. <laughs> you may know a lot of stuff. And so these two things I would grant. Why? Because there's so much brokenness, so much sins that we commit, so much sin that is committed against us. What I would grant you is health. Health in your personal relationships, health in your marriages, health in your parenting, health in your family life, health at work. And the answer, and the reason why we're doing this series, the answer is simple, not easy. It really is found in high doses of God's people, as we've been saying, and God's word. Simple, not easy. We need God's people in our life, working together, living community, and working out God's word together because that is where spiritual growth and, and emotional growth takes place. Listen, it's obviously not God's will for that to happen in an instant. Instead, he has willed by his good providence and care. Therefore, it really must be best for us that we go on a journey to grow. I would wave the magic wand, but he says, no, take my hand. We're going on a journey, and over a lifetime, I'm going to work my word and my truth and my healing into your life. Are you ready to go on that journey? If you are, you take the Lord's hand and, and you say to him, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to open up my life, the garage door of my life, and I want you to come in. It's a mess in there, man. There's, I got yard equipment everywhere, and I got, you know, my garage is a mess. Lord, come in and clean it up. 
Give me health out of my brokenness. And friends, the answer, I believe, is found in God's people and God's word. But I want to acknowledge how strange that sounds to us modern and postmodern people. I am asking you, I really am today, (laughs) to open up your heart and your mind and say, I want to submit my life, my life's decisions, the most intimate ones, to the will of God through a book that was written over 2,000 years ago. We're in a time and a place in, in, in the Western world where we don't even believe in any meta-narrative. There's no arching truth. There's no story that is the story we're told. There's no overarching reality or truth. And I, pastors, the Bible itself, are coming along saying, submit your heart, your mind, your life to an ancient book. It's over 2,000 years old because we believe it's the word of God. That sounds insane to us. And in spite of how counterculture that is, I want to make the point is you are, whether you know it or not, under the authority of words, many of which are ancient. You all live under the authority of words every day. I'm a news junkie. I drive my poor wife crazy because whenever I go to the bathroom, it doesn't matter how long I should actually be in there. (laughs) I won't go into details. It's always longer because I'm in there reading news. How many, any other news? Okay, so a couple of you. So I get up in the morning, read the news, go to bed, read the news. And, the, and as I'm reading about world events and politics, one of the things I've noticed the last few months is how much we're arguing about the Bill of Rights. We're accusing each other constantly like, you're not keeping the First Amendment. No, you're not keeping the First Amendment. My Second Amendment rights are being violated. Like, who cares about your Second Amendment? You know, like, it goes back and forth on the fir- mainly the first two. The Bill of Rights are the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. They were ratified, made, made law in 1791. Whether you like it or not, what's interesting is that they appeal to these things. You're not keeping the Bill of Rights. No one argues that the First Amendment is wrong and should not be kept. They try to argue, no, I am keeping it. You're the one that's not keeping it. My point is they are submitting to the Bill of Rights as an authoritative word over their life, and so should you as an American citizen, if you are. Canadians, you're off the hook. (laughs) The Bill of Rights, 200-year-old document. You're not keeping it. We are all living under the authority of words. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Go out in the parking lot with a brick after the service and bash somebody's window in with it and see what happens. Don't do that. (laughs) What will happen? You will live under the authority of somebody's word. State of Arizona, the municipality of Phoenix, you're going to go to jail if you do that. Get in your car, drive on the 10, 150 miles an hour. You'll probably get by with it for about 40 minutes. (laughs) Is it not amazing how fast you can drive, especially on a motorcycle in the city of Phoenix? And not, you know, it's like, I want to, I want to pull a citizen's arrest so bad, you know? (laughs) You live under the authority of words. So do I. We all do. If you're married, you live under the authority of words. Say, no, I don't. I can get a divorce. But how do you do that? You have to get a lawyer. It's hard to get a divorce. You have to get untangle yourself legally because you stood before God and man and made a confession. You covenanted together, man and wife, husband and wife, to be married. It takes, it takes laws to get that undone. You live under the authority of the words that you committed to one another, and you should. Employees are under the authority of their boss. 
Get your work done. Children, you're under the authority of your parents. Be home by midnight, okay? You with me? All right. So, listen, while placing yourself under the authority of God's word totally sounds strange to all of us, it does. It's not unique. We are all under the authority of words. The question is, what words are you placing yourself under? Since the Reformation, we're celebrating 500 years of the Reformation on October 31st. I hear there's something going on that day also. Uh, I'm going to dress up like Martin Luther and walk my neighborhood. (laughs) Since the Reformation, Protestant churches have held the conviction that Scripture alone is the ultimate authority for the Christian and the church. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. And while tradition is important in interpreting the Scripture, and while um, and history, church history, is super important for interpreting that we believe that Scripture is our final authority. Today, we see in the books of, book of Acts this historical recounting of what took place in Jerusalem, and now Paul in Acts 17 and Silas going to this town called Berea, and they went to share with the Jews in the synagogue about Jesus being the Messiah, and their first reaction is what's powerful. They go to check the Old Testament to see if it's true. They're listening to his preaching and they're warm to it, but they, they spend hours and days poring over the Old Testament to see if what he is telling them is actually scriptural. I love their heart. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, it says this, all scripture is God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, uh, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Righteousness, health. What, what God is after through the word of God is that you and I be formed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ who was completely spiritually mature and emotionally mature and healthy. Righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped, reaching their goal, their end, their purpose in life to be formed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ for every good work. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about itself, but this passage, Paul kind of says, this is what separates just an ordinary letter from Scripture. It's breathed out by the Spirit of God. What's interesting, the word for breath in the New Testament is the same word for the Spirit. So we say Holy Spirit, it's, that, it's the same word for breath. So the word of God is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Galatians, he didn't sit with his pen and say, all right, I'm listening. What do you want me to say to those people? It, he didn't dictate. He wrote a real letter to real people in a real context, in a real historical situation. But we believe that simultaneously the Holy Spirit was inspiring Paul to breathe out those words, and as he wrote, the Holy Spirit is literally giving us his word. We believe that the Bible, Old and New Testament, is God's word, and in submitting your heart to it, you're not just submitting to a book and pages, you're submitting to the Lord himself. This is how the Holy Spirit moves in our life to work in our life to cause us to walk after him. 
Who gets the final say in your life? Who gets, who gets the final say? Ordinarily, right now in our culture, the final say, the, the, the person that gets the final word, the final say, let's just be honest, it doesn't matter who you are, is usually the, autom- the autonomous heart as your authority. It's your feelings. It's you as a, a private individual, as a, an individual person, whatever you feel, whatever you want, that is usually, if we're honest, your ultimate authority. I was uh, looking up a phrase in the Urban Dictionary this week, and it's the phrase, my truth. We use that phrase a lot. I just need to walk in my truth. I just need to tell you my truth. And as you can tell by my kind of way I'm talking about it, I'm not real happy about this phrase. Well, my problem with it, they kind of nailed it in the Urban Dictionary. It's the non-negotiable personal opinion and they had some other pejorative words for it. The phrase, it says, is often used when seeking to justify a controversial personal stance or action because people are not allowed to argue with your truth. And that's where we are as a society. That's where we are. If I want to say something, and I don't want you to say anything back, all I have to do is say, well, let me, I, this is my truth. I need to share you with my truth. And so people will say stuff like this, like, hey, you know, here's the reality. I'm leaving my wife. She was really good to me. She was faithful. She was loving. She's a great mother. She's a great, you know, she brings, she's a great worker. She does everything right anymore. It was a tough decision, but I have to stand in my truth. I'm leaving her. I, I know, just, it's my truth. And we are expected to respond in those instances, you're so brave. I'm so proud of you for standing in your truth. This is where we are. This is the air we breathe. Your heart and your feelings are the ultimate determination of what is true for you. And there's some obviously logical fallacies with this. If I as an individual am living my truth and you're over here as an individual living your truth and somehow those don't work together and we are still trying to work out whether it's a work relationship or a marriage or a parent-child relationship, my truth runs headlong into your truth. Where are we supposed to go then when my truth and your truth doesn't allow for us to live in community? Next is culture as authority. The human heart, the individual really, the autonomous self as authority, and next is culture as authority in your life. In the South, nearly everyone subscribed to sola scriptura, talking over the last couple hundred years in the southeast part of the United States. It was the Bible Belt, right? But in reality, their culture overruled the Bible on some really important issues. I grew up in Kentucky. I spent all my high school years there. I went there after college to seminary there. I pastored there in the Bible Belt, in, in the South. In the South, everyone, in air quotes, is a Christian. Everyone professes faith. Nearly everyone, not everyone, nearly everyone, and yet there was systemic racism going on for years. And even at the heart of it, in the height of the the systemic racism and even slavery, they would have said that scripture alone is our authority. But we know that's not the case on that issue, don't we? Culture trumped their, their authority of scripture. Their heritage, 
Their economic system required that they enslave human beings and they allowed their culture to overrule the Bible actually being their authority. And we can all now stand from this historical perspective and say, that's true. The the problem now is we are from a different perspective being ruled by culture and the question is, are you going to interpret your life through scripture first and then Obviously, we all live and move and have our being in a culture. Is scripture your first grid through which you're interpreting life? Or is it the culture? Churches and Christians, we kind of stand at a crossroads. At this moment in history, in many respects. And I believe a watershed issue, and it has been for a long time, is what an individual or what a church will do with God's holy scriptures. A watershed is a a body of land that divides a body of water. You have a river going in one direction, and then there's this piece of land that divides that river now into two rivers. And in your own heart and your own life, you really do have to get to a place where you say, I not only am asking God into my life, I want Christ in my life, and then to make the connection that if I'm going to walk with him, I have to submit my life and my heart to his word and his will. Because if I don't, in actuality, I'm really just serving myself. I can say, I can sing the songs, I can pray the prayers, but in reality, if I'm not going to submit to his will, what does that really mean to follow him as Lord? Will I interpret culture through the scriptures or the scriptures through the culture? We're living in a time where cultural conviction is shifting and it's shifting really fast. You know that. There's stuff that Society agreed upon just 10, 15 years ago. Like we all, ev- nearly all politicians, every, every single politician I can think of agreed upon, this is what, we're, what we think about. And then, and then like that, there's a change. How will you define human sexuality? How will you define gender? Things are evolving and they are not slowing down. They're not gonna slow down anytime soon. We are now being told there are 63 genders. What will be your foundation? You really have to get to a point where you decide. What will be my foundation for human sexuality? And this is not to point a finger to anyone else. If you listen to scripture as your authority, guess what you will find? We are all guilty of sexual sin. (laughs) All of us. So the answer is not I'm better than you and I get to throw rocks at you. The answer is I need Jesus Christ and I need God's truth for my life to be whole and healthy and I want that for you as well. We do so humbly. If you look to the scripture, the really scripture as your authority, you will not come away with rocks in your hand. In fact, Jesus says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Go for it. If you're righteous, go do that. No, you'll have humility and love for your neighbor. But you stand in the truth as well, truth and grace. What will be your foundation? What will be your children's foundation? What will be your grandchildren's foundation? It's a watershed moment. Church, we have to stand on the authority of the scriptures. Jesus, or excuse me, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is so desperately what I want for myself and for you. It's for God's word to become a light and a lamp for you on a path that is often difficult to walk on. I want God's will for your life. I want health for you so desperately 
I want emotional health. I want spiritual health. It comes through heavy doses of God's word and God's people walking together, living in light and saying, our hearts are laid bare before God and his word. Let's help one another walk in it. Simple, not easy. Simple, not easy. One of the most beautiful things that took place during the Reformation was the conviction that God's word was the the ultimate authority, but secondarily, that it should be interpreted and translated into your language. Whatever language you spoke, you should have the scriptures in your language. We should worship in that language. And the idea and the conviction that not only should the theologians and priests and pastors read the Bible, but so should the farmers and the, the baker and and the the printing press guy, we should all, as followers of Jesus, have the Bible in our hands. That encouraged people to read, but it was a beautiful thing when a family would receive a Bible written in their own language, German, English, whatever, that was a precious thing for that family. Today, you have almost unlimited resources for absorbing God's word. Nearly every church I know that is faithful to preaching the Bible puts all of their sermons online, audio, video. I don't like to read. I have a difficult time reading. There is more good preaching out there in the world today than there's ever been. It's everywhere. You can listen to a sermon going to work, coming to work. You can listen to the Bible being read to you on my ESV app. You you literally, God's word can be found anywhere at any time in any vehicle that you need to hear it, read, or experience. God's word, pick it up, read it. You can't follow God in obedience if you don't know what he has said. John 8, Jesus said this. When you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the father taught me. I do nothing on my own authority. I only do that which the father is doing, only that which is under the the authority of the father. When you submit yourself to the word of God, you are being like Jesus Christ. You're humbling yourself before him. In C.S. Lewis's fictional work, he wrote this great book called The Great Divorce. It's not about divorce. It's about heaven and hell. He says, one of the characters says, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God will say in the end, thy will be done. There are two kinds of people. There are those that open up their heart and their life and they say, Lord, thy will be done, and then there are those to whom God will say, no, your will be done because you've persisted in living for yourself. Ultimately, hell is a place where people are living autonomous lives, all for themselves, all for selfishness, all for the self, not for the love of God and the love of your neighbor. Friends, what Lewis is saying, and he said this in lots of different places, we are becoming people throughout your life and the trajectory of your life, you are becoming a person that's either at home in the kingdom of God or you're becoming a person that will be at home in the kingdom of selfishness. You don't get to skip formation. You're either being spiritually formed more and more into the image of Christ and feeling at home in God's kingdom, or you're going to be formed more and more into the kingdom of selfish, which is the ultimate autonomy, even autonomy from God himself. The question is not, are you being formed? The question is, into what image, into whose image are you being formed?
culture is shaping us, the world is shaping us into a particular image. In church, I'm pleading with you to not only in your heart say, I will submit myself to the word of God, but to pick it up, to read it, to meditate on it, to be formed by it, to live it, to live in community together. If you don't yet have what we call here a gospel community, which is a small group where you do life together, where you work out how do we love God and, and, and open up our hearts to the scripture, please come talk to me, one of the elders, one of the pastors. We will help you find a gospel community where you can experience this. Ultimately, here's why you need to be under the authority of God's word. God's word is not a list of laws. It's not a, a bunch of rules and regulations. There are laws in it, but ultimately it is the true story of God that explains how even though we are broken and fallen, that God has a plan to redeem and restore everything that's wrong with the world. God has dealt with sin and death, and he's offering a new kingdom that's coming where everything that's broken and wrong will be renewed. We believe that in spite of your brokenness and sin, that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He lived a life for you. He died his death, the death you and I deserved for us. He then rose from the dead, and just like I told Emily and Joshua, you now have union with Jesus. You get to rise when he rises. When he comes again, you will rise. You will enter the new kingdom. Everything that's broken in your life and as a mess will be redeemed and restored and made right. It's good, good news. And you need to know that the word of God is good news. But here's the reality. Most of us don't go to the word of God and say, your word is truth. Instead, we go to it like we're at a buffet. My in-laws were famous for going to buffets. They just both passed away this year. <laughs> and we would go to their city, which was known for like culinary excellence. And they would take us not to one of those places that I would yelp and go, please, dear God. <laughs> Instead, we would go to Ryan's Steakhouse not a steakhouse, people. <laughs> that is not a steakhouse. That is a, it's a buffet. Please forgive me if you, if you love you some Ryan Steakhouse, but here's the deal. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise, and then we're done. I'm right there. I'm almost done. You go to the buffet, and they got, they've got fruit. They got vegetables. They got all kinds of healthy stuff, but most of us don't go there, do we? We go to what we want, and we go over here, and this, this analogy is breaking down because I'm making it sound bad, but we take a healthy scooping of God's love, you should, you really should. And you take a healthy scooping of like, God forgives me, and you take a healthy, yeah, I want some resurrection from the dead too, but there's all this other stuff that's hard. It's the broccoli, it's the spinach, it's the stuff that I don't necessarily want a helping of, but it's things like love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, and die to yourself, and wash the feet of others, and, and even that neighbor you hate, love them, serve them. If they hate you, forgive them, welcome them into your life. Who wants a helping of that? But that's Jesus, and that's the image we're supposed to be formed into. And who wants a healthy dose of the biblical sexual ethic? Marry one woman or one man and commit to them for a lifetime. Nobody wants that. No, we want to say, I want to define it however I wanted to define it. But God's word is meant to be good for us, it's meant to be healthy for us. And when you take the buffet style from the Bible, you're just creating a synchronistic stew that in the end does not work. There's coming a day when you will need to know that you are forgiven, 
that you are loved, that you will rise from the dead. And if you get to the point where you're dying on a sickbed or you're going through some trauma or difficulty and you say, I need to believe that God still loves me and is for me and has forgiven me my sin. But if you've approached the Bible just as a buffet, there's no power in that. There's no power. Because you know what you've done. You don't really trust that God is God, that he's the Lord. You're creating, you're worshiping yourself. You're still living this private, autonomous life where I get to pick and I get to choose. Of all the people in this room, I can pretty much guarantee you, I am not obedient to God's word in its completion. Not even close. That's not what I'm saying today. What I am saying is a turning point, a watershed moment in your life, in your spiritual discipleship, is will you get to the place where Jesus, you are Lord, and your word is truth, and you get the final say. Let's pray.